Our hope in this Revelation series, understanding Revelation and this current cultural moment, is to pique our curiosity, where you and I would want to go and learn more, where we'd have a thirst to go deeper in God's Word. It's been, this is week three, um, this weekend of this Revelation series, and people have asked me, tell me exactly what you believe about this particular topic. And when it comes to the book of Revelation, that's kind of difficult to do because number one, it's um, it's a book that's been studied for you know a couple thousand years, and there's so many different views on it. Uh, number two, I try to really approach this book with humility because I don't have all the answers. And the more I read, the more I get confused. And the more I read and the more I study, the more I realize there is so much out there. But there's some things generally that everyone agrees about with Revelation. And the first one is this, is that Jesus Christ is the lamb who was slain. Jesus Christ is the one who could open the seals that we're going to talk about. And that that in the end, that Jesus is going to do away with all evil, that he's going to bring evil down, and that we will be in the presence of God forever. That is something everyone agrees on. And there's a lot more things everyone agrees on. But when it comes to the tribulation, to the millennium, when it comes to different interpretations of the seals or the trumpets or the bulls and things like this um, that you find in the middle of Revelation, there's lots of different views. So what I'm going to do this weekend is hopefully provide this uh, bird's eye view of Revelation that will hopefully uh, inspire us to to go deeper. And we're releasing videos on Mondays that, that I do with Dr. Joe Grana of Hope International University, a Q&A with Dr. Joe Grana. And on Thursdays, we have a book club and that's going well. And you're welcome to join. Just email kcc at kamikichristian.org and say, I'd like to join and we'll send you all the information. But let's be believers who think critically, not, not believers who are critical. Huh? 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 But believers who think critically, that we're able to process why we believe what we do, we're able to understand or have an idea of why the other person believes what they do. Lots of times what happens, and I said this last week, is that we believe this, whatever this is, and then we only read stuff that supports this. And we only watch YouTube videos that support this. And we only listen to people who support this. And when we do that, we're not thinking critically. So one of the reasons, or I guess the third reason why I kind of uh, kind of shy away from saying, here's what I believe exactly, is because I want to challenge our church to think critically, to go deeper, to, to have this thirst to say, I want to know more. And that's why we're all about giving out resources and showing you where to go with resources. Now, before we get much more into Revelation, let me um, just throw this out there that if you haven't left us, it's kind of like a weird transition, but just go with it. Uh, if you haven't left us a, a Yelp review or a, a review on Facebook, if you would go ahead and, and, and do that, because the more reviews we have on Yelp, the more reviews we have on Facebook, um, the easier it is for people to find our church and to find God's love through our church. And that would be great if you would give us, uh, you know, the five-star review and all that stuff. Wink, wink. All right. So 
Let me ask you this question in the comments section. Answer this with a yes or no. Are you tired of this pandemic? Yes or no, right in the comments section. Are you tired of this pandemic? Yes or no? And as you're typing yes or no, you can put exclamation marks and exclamation marks and exclamation marks and exclamation marks, exclamation marks. I am sick and tired of this pandemic. I feel like, you know, when you're on a road trip as a kid, uh, we'd always be like, are we there yet? <laughs> are we there yet? My parents would be like, no. And the funny part is now my kids say the same thing to, to Kaz and I. Are we there yet? No. And we're just going from school back home here. Like, are we there yet? Like, you know, it's just like a 13 minute drive from school back to home, right? But are we there yet? Ah, but that's how we feel, I think, as adults. Are we done with this pandemic yet? Are we on the other side yet? And it's that question of, are we there yet? That, uh, that revelation is all about. Revelation is all about getting back to what God originally intended. Revelation is the final story. It's the culmination of, of the entire Hebrew scriptures, the culmination of all the New Testament scriptures of getting back to what God originally intended. You could say amen to that on in the comment section. So this weekend, we're looking at evil and suffering, and God will deal with evil once and for all. God will deal with evil once and for all. That's the promise that we have in Scripture. And when it comes to evil, though, and when it comes to things that happen, bad things that happen, things that we don't fully understand, we, there's something inside of us that, that says, I want to know why that happened. I want to know why that is. And oftentimes that turns into us going after conspiracy theories, goes after us trying to make sense of what is going on. Sometimes what happens is we draw connections between something we've done and something bad. So for example, I didn't pray today, so therefore I got in a fight with my spouse. Or we say, you know, I had an abortion when I was younger and therefore I'm having problem, problems getting pregnant now. And the list goes on and on and on. But hear me on this. This is not scripture. This is not theologically sound. At best, this type of thinking, at best, this type of thinking is superstition. Here's what the Bible says. John chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. As we went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. My hope is that as we continue to learn that we'll have a healthier view of God, that we'll have a healthy view of Scripture, and we'll let that form how we view the world, how we view what's going on in the world. And that's why it's so important for us to know God's word and to approach God's word with humility. And, and what happens, though, is that sometimes, you know, when we say like, oh, I didn't, 
I didn't pray this morning, so I'm gonna fight with my spouse. Sometimes what happens is we take that to an even larger scale, and that's where conspiracy theories comes in, that we see evil happening, and, 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 and then we see all this evil happening, we don't understand it, but we see something here, and we see something here, and then what we try to do is draw a line from here to 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 here, just to try to make sense of everything. But scripture warns us and gives us this warning and um, thought as well in Colossians 2. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And here's a key, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. I could go on and on about this passage, but the key there is verse A, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. These conspiracy theories that are really rampant right now in our day and age oftentimes take us away from Jesus Christ. And oftentimes what happens is these conspiracy theories take us down rabbit holes, rabbit trails, and all of a sudden we don't know where we are. But our focus isn't on Christ. It's trying to figure out what's going on in these conspiracy theories. There is evil in the world. Absolutely. And I think what is happening is that there's a sense inside of us that we're trying to figure out what is going on with all this evil. And oftentimes... Uh, what uh, sort of kind of rather let me say like this when it comes to these conspiracy theories generally speaking we believe that there are a few people in charge making all the shots or holding certain truth from people and these ideas have been around for a long time like, why do you think the James Bond novel series uh, are so popular or the, or the uh, Jason Bourne movies are so popular? Because there's an element of truth in them. I was talking to Pastor Jerry this week about it, and he uh, gave me some great insight, and, and I'm going to quote him. Here's what he says. The thing is, even if bits and pieces of these ideas have uh, some credibility, the Bible teaches that our main response Two evils should be to decide who will be and uh, who we will be and how we will live in the midst of it all. And if you want to go and read further, read Second Peter chapter three verses eleven to sixteen. But when we met, when we focus all of our time on these conspiracy theories, like oh this bad thing happened, therefore it was a result of this and this and this, we miss the entire story of God's redemptive plan for our lives. The, 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 the Bible doesn't sugarcoat that evil exists. But the Bible is absolutely honest and absolutely clear that Jesus is going to do away with all evil. So let's focus our eyes on the one who has the solution to evil. The one who conquered evil on the cross. Evil is not something new. Evil and pain and suffering and tribulations is not something new to our day and age. Every single generation has gone through something horrific. 
John writes this in Revelation 1.9, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that ours, that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos. He says your brother and companion in the suffering. He goes, I am with you in suffering. I'm with you in the tribulation. I am with you in this pain. And so conspiracy theories looks at trying to find answers in this broken world that we live in. And oftentimes, like I said, with these conspiracy theories, there's this idea that there's this powerful elite that's withholding or distorting the truth. There's a psychologist who specializes in the, in the psychology of conspiracy theories. His name is Daniel Jolly. What a name, Daniel Jolly. Daniel Jolly says uh, that to truly understand people who believe these ideas in the first place, you have to understand human psychology. And him and his team of psychologists have figured out uh, that, 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 that those who are full-blown in these conspiracy theories have one thing in common. A need to feel like you're in control. A need to feel like you're in control. He writes this. If you imagine a big event happens, a plane goes missing or someone dies, people want to explain why that's happened because it makes them feel uneasy and anxious, which are not good feelings. So we're looking for answers and a conspiracy theory finds a really good answer for what happened. That theory can actually make you feel more in control and less anxious, less uncertain. You know what has happened. And Dr. Jolly is right to look for answers in a confusing world, but Christians, as followers of Jesus, we have to forego the temptation to figure out all these conspiracy theories of what's going on and trust in these conspiracy theories and start believing in these conspiracy theories and really trust and focus on the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And perhaps one of the biggest ideas that is surrounded with conspiracy theories is COVID-19. There's a lot of conspiracy theories around COVID-19, around this pandemic, and I don't want to give airtime to all these different specific theories about it. But when it comes to conspiracy theories, and when it comes to people trying to figure out evil, trying to figure out bad things and why bad things happen and going all these different ways, you know, the best place to go is the Bible. And here's what the Bible says about conspiracy theories. And you could write this down, you could type this in, but save this verse. It's in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 11 to 13. The Lord spoke to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of the people, the way of this people. He said, do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy, and he is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread, and he will be a sanctuary. 
Let that sink in for a bit. Isaiah chapter 8, verses 11 to 13. Isaiah chapter 8, verses 11 to 13. So what is, just to kind of bring this part together about conspiracy theories and revelation and evil, what do they all have to do with this? Here's what they have to do with one another. Revelation doesn't shy away from evil. Revelation says that evil is real. Revelation says that that evil is horrific and suffering is real and it does not shy away from it. And in fact, John writes to the, to the, to the churches of Asia Minor and two of them were going through severe persecution and, and God praised them for going through severe persecution. Conspiracy theories is about wanting to know everything, wanting to figure out why all these things combine. And the book of Revelation is the culmination, like I said, of of the Hebrew and the Greek scriptures saying that, you know, we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. Bad things happen. But take heart of this. Take hold of this truth that Jesus is going to conquer all evil. That's the hope you and I have as followers of Jesus, that no matter what we're going through, no matter what pain, no matter what suffering, no matter what health, no matter what ailment you have, no matter what uh, uh, mental illness you have, physical ailment you have, no matter what family issues you have, that there, it will be a day when God will do away with all pain and all suffering, and evil will be annihilated. That's the huge difference between conspiracy theories and the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is the promise to end all evil and to end all suffering. You can say amen to that. You can write amen to that. And and when it comes to Revelation, there's lots of different things going on. And one of these big events going on is, is these, these three judgment scenes in the book of Revelation. And we, we have... Uh, these judgment scenes, we have like these seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. And these scenes, some scholars believe, are God's judgment coming upon the earth. Judgment upon the evil, saying no longer, uh-uh, uh-uh, no longer, uh-uh, is evil going to be around because my kingdom is going to be here fully. No more pain, no more crying, no more weeping. And so some scholars look at these uh, uh, judgment scenes with these seals and these trumpets and these bowls as God's judgment coming upon the evil. And so we, we are the, each of these cycles, and the Bible Project says this, each cycle depicts God's kingdom and justice coming here on earth as in heaven. John uses each of these seven to depict the same period of time between Jesus' resurrection and the future return from three different perspectives. So let's look at one of the perspectives, the seven sealed scrolls. So think of this scroll. And then with this scroll, you have seven seals. Think of like seven signet ring seals. And we're going to look at just the four seals because of time. But here's what we read in Revelation 6, 1 to 8. And by the way, hopefully throughout the series, you're reading Revelation regularly. Uh, read it in the NIV. Read it in the 
New Living Translation. Read it in the message if you want. Read it in the New American Standard. Read it in your favorite translation, but be reading it regularly in other translations. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. I looked and there before me was a white horse. You can even type in the comment section, White horse, horse number one, white horse. Write that in, horse number one, white horse. It's a rider with a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. You could say, red horse, fiery red horse. His horse number two, write that in the comment section. Fiery red horse, horse number two. Its rider was given power to take, to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. I looked and there before me was a black horse. The third horse was the black horse. Write that down. Third horse was the black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. I looked and before me was a pale horse. So, the fourth seal and the fourth horse, you could write, was the pale horse. Its rider was named Death and Hades and was falling close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, famine, and plague and by the wild beasts of the earth. So these seals, as they're being taken off of this scroll, these seals, as they're taken off the scroll, um, they can be, now hear me, they can be God's judgment on the earth. God's judgment on those who rejected Jesus. So these seals can be God's judgment on those who rejected Jesus. But here's what's fascinating, is that if Jesus, the lamb who was slaughtered, if you Read Revelation just 1 to 6. You're going to get this picture of a lamb who was slaughtered. There's this picture of a lamb who has blood and who was slain for us. If this lamb wanted to annihilate all of the earth, this lamb easily could have. But he didn't. Why? This is important. This is important. Hear me, please. Because the lamb wants everyone to come to know him. The lamb wants everyone to know that he sacrificed his life. He wants to redeem people who don't know him. He wants to redeem the broken, redeem those who have strayed away from the Lord. And he's given us time to do that. This image here in Revelation 6 and Revelation 7 and other passages in Revelation is very closely related to the plagues in Exodus. So for remember what we talked about? Like there's like 500 references to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. Wow. And so what we have here in the book of Exodus for a moment is we have 10 plagues. And these uh, the first nine plagues can be sets of three. The first three plagues were more 
of an annoyance. No big, I mean, they're a big deal, but not like, eh. Then the next set of three plagues uh, were greater damage or greater destruction. Then uh, plagues seven, eight, and nine added a dimension of downright dread. Then the 10th plague was the plague of the firstborn. But what's going on in, in Exodus is the same thing that's going on here in Revelation. That in Exodus, God wanted the Israelites, the Hebrews, to turn to God. God wanted the Egyptians to turn from their ways to turn to God. He gave them a way out. He told them, this is what will happen. This is what I want you to do. If you don't do this, here's your punishment. It's like what a good parent does to their children. This is the consequences if you don't do this. I don't want to do this, but this is the consequences. Now, there's two types of judgments in the Bible. The first is sowing and reaping. Now, God isn't directly involved with sowing and reaping, but the idea of sowing and reaping is this. Um, if I'm driving down Clonianiole Highway and I'm driving like 50 miles an hour, not that I ever do that. But if, if I did and I got pulled over by Honolulu's finest and I got a speeding ticket, I would deserve that. Why? Because I sowed what I reap. I reap what I sowed. And, and the second type of judgment is specific divine judgment. Here's what one pastor says about specific divine judgment. In other words, divine judgment is always clear where it came from and what it's about. That way it has a disciplinary effect because if I don't know where it comes from or why it came, then I don't know how to respond to it or what to do to be delivered from it. So what's the, 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 the big issue with divine judgment is that you know what God wants. God sends a prophet saying, this is what's happening. God says to his prophet, if this doesn't change, this actually will happen. The ultimate goal is that these people, whoever God is talking to, would change from their ways, would turn from their sins and come to God. And that is what's happening in Revelation. You have all these judgments, all these seals coming down, and God is wanting all people to turn to him because he doesn't want anyone to perish. That's how loved they are, and that's how loved you are. That's how loved I am. Another perspective sees that these seals that are released from the scroll could also refer to the condition of our world that we're living in. So look at the white horse. The white horse is bent on conquering. And uh, then there's the red horse. And you have the red horse. And the red horse is to take peace from the earth. Then you have the black horse, one that brings famine. Then you have the pale horse, rider named death to kill with plagues and animals and, and with the sword. In other words, that describes world history. In other words, that describes what's going on right now in our world today. In other words, that's what describes what was going on in the first century. 
When John's readers would have read this, it would have brought up vivid images of conquering armies who have conquered them in the past, who were oppressing them at this current time. Without a doubt, it communicated a lot to them, but it communicates a lot to you and I today. Overall, this chapter in Genesis, uh, <laughs> this chapter in Revelation, overall, this chapter and this book of Revelation is a call to acknowledge that suffering and pain of the church universal and for us to engage in that suffering with them. It's a call to acknowledge the suffering and the pain of the church. There is a lot of suffering in our world today. There's a lot of pain in our world today. And the call and the the call for followers of Jesus is this, what will we do? How will we respond? Revelation is clear that bad things happen. Evil is real. It was real in the first century. It was real when from the beginning of the fall, right after the fall of humankind in Genesis 3, and it is still existent today. But what will you and I do? How will you and I respond? Will we try to say, let us figure everything out ourselves. Let's go to this conspiracy theory, that conspiracy theory. Will we say, you know what? Jesus is coming back. I don't need to do anything. What will our response be? When we spend our time trying to connect the dots of suffering and evil, we often extricate ourselves from the situation and rather than asking who we are becoming and how we're responding, we instead focus on the wrong thing and miss the opportunity in those moments to be formed into Christ's likeness. So church, what should we do? With this fallen world that we live in, Revelation is clear about that. With evil all around us, Revelation is clear about that. What shall we do? Well, as followers of Jesus, we shall see that there's needs all around us. And we should be the feet and the hands of Christ. We should bring heaven to earth now. Ultimately, Jesus, when he comes back, is bringing heaven to earth, and that's going to be permanent. No more pain, no more tears, no more darkness. It's going to be permanent and it's going to be a place where there's no heartache. It's going to be a place where we live with our creator forever. Amen. But until then, you and I have a role to play to bring heaven to earth. And for those of you who are going through difficult times, take comfort in knowing that you have not, you're not forgotten by God. Take comfort in knowing that the Lord is with you. And in a real tangible sense. If you need help, reach out to a friend, to a neighbor. Even reach out to the church. Give the church a call. Email the church. Let us know how we could help you. So what should we do in the midst of this evil and suffering and these tribulations that we find ourselves in? Let's bring the hope and love of Jesus Christ. Let's bring the hope and love of Jesus to everywhere we go. 
And let's do what we read in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. Let's you and I live holy and godly lives. In the end times, this passage in, in, in 2 Peter 3 talks about the end of the world's coming. So how should we live? We should live holy and godly lives. Amen? Write that in the comment section. Holy and godly lives. You and I should live holy and godly lives lives.